Welcome back to the Posh Cotney Podcast. You're listening to Liam Norvell and this is Hospitality News, brought to you by the Industry Titans. And this is a very special show today as it's the last show of Season 1. So I'd like to thank every single one of the Titans that has appeared on Season 1 of the Posh Cotney Podcast. And a special thank you to John James for coming on on Tuesday. We all hope the Save Soho Summer 2020 campaign is a huge success. And Posh Cotney and myself will certainly be there. Let's go on to the last Titan of season one. His name is Luke Thomas. He is a celebrity chef, influencer and venue owner and an all-round top bloke. You're going to love hearing from him. He's a very, very special talent and a good friend of mine. So I really hope you enjoy listening to him and he's had a phenomenal journey in the hospitality industry. Before we hear the episode, let's hear from our sponsors, Utilitrack. As one of the UK's leading commercial energy consultants, Utilitrack help businesses spend less on their utilities. There's never been a better time than now to review your costs. So if you'd like free help or advice on saving money on your utilities, email us at inquiries at utilitrack.co.uk or visit our website www.utilitrack.co.uk. Welcome back to the Posh Cotney podcast. It's the last episode of season one, so I needed to get a huge titan on, and it's a new friend of mine, entrepreneur, celebrity chef, and owner of Blacks in London, Luke Thomas. Luke, how are you? I'm very good, mate. How are you? I'm great. Have you been keeping well during lockdown? Yeah, strangely, I think probably like everybody else, like trying to do all the good stuff, like exercise a lot, cook a lot at home, etc. So, you know, some pretty difficult times like we're all facing, but trying to, you know, trying to start seeing the positives where we can. Where are you at the moment in the world? Uh, I'm actually in Wales at the moment. I grew up in Wales, so I came back to Wales during the first week of lockdown, just because like, the venues in London shut and kind of felt actually maybe, you know, it may do a bit of good, like being outside of the city and just taking it easy and really, you know, having a bit of time to think and stuff. So, Have you been down to London much since, since this has all started? Only once to literally just, you know, have almost just have a walk around, you know, say hello to a couple of people, but really just to kind of, you know, see Soho and it's, feels pretty strange walking around town at the moment it really does how about you i went to the office in uh, covent garden a couple of days ago and it's just i'm very creative and i like to be around people that are creative and i like the buzz of london but at the moment it is scary scary times and it looks like something out of a horror film so i'm looking forward yeah. to when people start going back into their offices and then it's a bit more normal i know it's not going to be the same but at least yeah. having some people around you to work so yeah we might be coming out of this very soon so you know hopefully that will happen luke some of the listeners might not know about you i know about you this is your stage tell us how your journey began because it's uh, it's certainly an incredible one really my love for food was born out of spending so much time with my grandmother when i was growing up so from kind of really early on sort of age three i always spent a lot of time at my grandmother's house just my kind of my parents split my mum being in work i was always there and we had a, like a really special relationship and kind of never really got into toys or computer games or even watching cartoons i always liked doing stuff uh whether that was like doing stuff in the garden or like you know, getting involved in the kitchen. And my nan was, you know, really great home cook. Everything was kind of cooked fresh, lots of slow cooking. There was like a cake in the oven. There was always something stewing. So food just became a really big part of my life. She kind of really inspired me to, to want to cook more. And then I think really in like the late 90s, when I was kind of like eight, when Jamie Oliver started on TV, 
that's when food for me really got interesting because I think it's when the dynamic changed of like food on TV. I kind of think, you know, before that food television programs was lots of kind of chefs in uh, white jackets and slightly older. And for a young kid, watching somebody on TV he was kind of like I guess if you're a Liverpool fan it'd be like watching Steven Gerrard then you take a football to your local park and go and try and score the same goal for me it was actually watching Jamie and then trying to replicate the food that he cooked and I think what he also did was kind of made really accessible food more interesting for people and really actually inspired a a whole new generation of people to cook so I, I'd say at that point I kind of really got into food a lot more as well reading lots of books watching food on tv all the time and even like just stuff like really getting to know the like the local butcher so I'd always go in there my grandmother and always kind of like ask tons of questions like tons of questions and that's kind of where it started and then when I started in high school when I was 11 I was like I wasn't really very academic I really struggled uh, engaging in anything that wasn't about food. I started working when I was 11, like in the butcher shop, which is like not far away from where I grew up in a little town called Connors Key in Wales. And I would, ju- I'd just go in there like on a Saturday or on, you know, when I was in half term and start doing like the odd day here and there and just starting to really get involved and, you know, obviously not getting paid for it, but it was always just about actually, I really wanted to learn a lot more and like the excitement of being, being around like an adult who's a professional butcher is such an exciting thing if that's your passion. So that led on to going to do work experience in restaurants near where we lived. So there's a restaurant called Sorton Hall, which is about sort of like 10 minutes away from where I grew up. And I used to spend a lot of time there, you know, at least a few nights a week cooking in the kitchen with the chefs and really kind of just kind of took a real hands-on approach to kind of food uh, rather than going down the traditional education route. I, I did go to college a little bit later, but I kind of found it a lot harder to absorb in the classroom. I always found it so much easier to be kind of sleeves rolled up learning that way. And then I think the world of food was just changing so much at that time and when I was in high school there were kind of lots of like food competitions for young chefs and there was one in particular that the Springboard Charity um, run as one of their kind of big initiatives called Future Chef and Future Chef was uh, a competition that encouraged high school uh, students to get involved in food in a kind of almost like a sort of master chef style way that was a stage by stage competition that spread over the academic year and it kind of took you from competing at school level to college to nationwide from seven and a half thousand budding young chefs down to a final 12 and I got involved in that when I was 14 and then did it again in 2015 and and won that and that really was kind of I guess a a sort of really interesting moment because Springboard they did incredible work in the hospitality industry in all sorts of ways but I'd say one of the things that they really kind of helped me with was kind of like guidance and mentoring around uh, opportunities within the industry so through that it kind of started building up lots of sort of connections in the industry and really had the desire to go and do stuff and was always up for knocking on doors where I could and really never never liked taking no for an answer just because I, I was so keen to succeed in the industry so and from there started knocking on doors of Michelin starred restaurants so I was working at the, the Chester Grosvenor for you know probably around two years and Simon Radley the executive chef there very kindly kind of took me under his wing a bit and kind of mentored me and and steered me in a direction and and really I guess opened my eyes to like the possibilities with food you know when you when you're cooking in local restaurants that's where you start getting passionate about the produce and you start getting passionate about detail but when you get into Michelin star kitchens it kind of becomes like the premier league of chefs and of food and you really kind of start seeing it in a different way and that that I guess really was kind of the moment of thinking like I really want to take this like even more seriously. 
I decided to write to a load of restaurants all over the world and see if I could get work experience for like, you know, whether it was a week or a month or a couple of months and really kind of, I guess, like fast track my way into seeing some of these great restaurants around the world. How many people do you think you reached out to at that point? hundred. Really? People, yeah. And I, I aimed for like the top 10 best restaurants in the world. And then like all sorts of like really interesting places that were either like farm to table approach or like three star Michelin, super radical or super simple Italian cooking. Like I really wanted to kind of get a broad spectrum. With that, it was like a super exciting moment of thinking, well, this opportunity is there. But the problem was I didn't like have a penny to go and book a flight. So at that time, I was trying to really figure out, well, how do I kind of make this happen? Because that's an opportunity that's lying there. So I started doing some private chefing gigs and started trying to earn a bit of money. And through Springboard and some other like contacts in the industry, went and asked for like a bit of sponsorship to book some flights and then always said like, in turn, I either do some work for free or... So it was kind of never like free money, but always what can I do in return? So one, one example was an amazing wine company called Hallgarten Drew, who supply wine to the hospitality industry I agreed to deal with them where if I was to ever open a restaurant that I would make sure that they become the wine supplier and they very kindly like helped and supported and then with that went off and worked in these places around the world came back to the UK and I guess really felt that experience had helped so much and almost like then given me a new guide to where I thought I wanted to go and it also felt like the time to get like I guess a real job for once but a word like actually let's go and get stuck into somewhere for a period of time and then start building my career up during that period I met a guy called Ian Donald who was one of the founders of individual restaurant company and they own brands like Piccolino's restaurant bar and grill and Ian and I met and I was like so incredibly inspired by Ian's story and his approach and how they built up the whole company and almost saw an opportunity to really learn from somebody who'd gone from starting his career as a chef to then building up one of the most successful restaurant businesses in the country. And Ian very kindly kind of let me shadow him for a, a six month period and really started to understand like the dynamics of how that restaurant business was made up. And that was anything from finance to purchasing, to front of house, to management, to marketing, to really just, I guess it was almost like a mini university course rammed into a six month period where there was a, an opportunity to shadow various departments and kind of get a get a sense of how, how that business worked. And after I'd done that stint with Ian, I was then trying to think about, well, where to go next in terms of getting a, a real job. And I met a guy called Mark Fuller. Mark had a group called Concept Venues and they had a whole bunch of restaurants and hotels, nightclubs, uh, both in the UK and overseas. And Mark's partners were in the music industry. And it was like, a really interesting time because it was like, a super exciting group of venues. And I met with Mark in London. I remember I've never been so petrified going into a meeting in my life than meeting Mark because there are definitely not characters like Mark where I'm from. Yeah, I went in for a quick meeting with Mark. Again, let's see if there's any job opportunities. And Mark kind of, so funny, sat on the, sat on the computer for most of it and was on the phone for the most of the meeting as well. Um, and then... I finished off the meeting with like some, of, some of his team and it was just really talking about what opportunities there may be because he had some new restaurants opening. And uh, shortly after, he uh, reached out about doing a restaurant together, which felt kind of strange. And we met, we met again, I went back to London, met again, and Mark uh, offered me the opportunity for a head chef position at uh, one of his venues, which was out in a place called Cookham in Berkshire. And it was a pub that was converted into a boutique hotel. So almost like a restaurant with rooms, nine bedrooms, really nice restaurant, an amazing part of the UK. And 
offered this opportunity and of course like the first thing you think when you're like 17 or 18 and get offered that opportunity is like oh, i probably need to ask my parents sort of thing yeah. <laughs> uh, and um I remember like going to talk to some people who I guess had become like mentors and, you know, took the opportunity to them and say like, this is kind of what's been offered as head chef. And everybody kind of said, well, I don't, I don't think you're ready. Um, you're way too young, et cetera, et cetera, which is like, fed. it was super, super obvious that that was the fact. So uh, I went back to Mark and said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really not sure. You know, I'm super grateful for the opportunity, but I don't think it's the right time. And then I remember that there was uh, somebody that Mark was working with reached out to me who works with like, all sorts of different chefs across their restaurants. And, and she really said that, you know, most chefs would chop the right arm off for this because it's such an opportunity. And I think at the time it was like the nervousness of what if it doesn't work out? Like what if it fails? And then I think I then started kind of, rather than speaking to people who were just in hospitality, it started speaking to people who were in other industries who maybe were up for taking a bit more risk. And they're like, well, we really don't see what the, the risk is. Like take the opportunity, grab it with both hands. If it works, go for it. And if it doesn't learn from every single mistake that you make. I went back to Mark, this was I don't know, in November, 2011. I was so incredibly nervous about actually going back to say yes but said yes and then mark's got this incredible energy and i i guess i was trying to almost slow the process down because of the, like my nervousness about doing it but then mark's energy and drive kind of i guess really like rubbed off in the sense that he he has such unique energy in the way that he does things so four months later we launched a restaurant called luke's dining room it was yeah we launched in the march i started at the restaurant in the January and kind of started bedding in and it was yeah it was pretty um, it was pretty nuts head chef yeah. at 17 and <laughs> 18 18 and and the restaurant named after you as well <laughs> yeah uh, yeah um uh, yeah it was certainly wasn't, wasn't brilliant in the first year <laughs> it was uh was there a big team in the kitchen no and i like lost a couple of people because they d didn't want to work for a child <laughs> yeah. and you know it was it was you know it was really difficult because i you know never managed people before had no experience of running a business before i guess always had like a bit of an entrepreneurial kind of like spirit in the sense of like the way i thought and i was always like really up for like breaking the rules and trying to like do things differently but you know when when it happened there was like a huge amount happening bbc just commissioned a tv series called britain's youngest head chef so there were cameras around then there was like all the like the mental pressure of like how do you actually make this work and uh, you know as many people know it's like far beyond just crafting a menu that you think is going to work actually how do you then get a team to believe in it how do you then set up your supply chain how do you then market that etc etc so it was really a it was really a pretty crazy time and, and i'd say the first year really was not a lot of fun at all because it kind of felt like i was doing so much wrong and then equally having a camera around all the time to create a tv show which which you know looking back was it kind of really I guess showed somebody really was rabbit in the headlights, which was me at the time. And, you know, I had way too, too many kind of people, I guess, trying to like manage and direct me in terms of what it'd be. And it, it was a really, yeah, a really crazy time, but I guess probably about a year into it, I, I, a couple of team members had joined, which is a really interesting lesson of surrounding yourself with people that are better than you are at other things. And yeah. then really allowing me to then focus on what I was good at. And that was, I guess, a real learning point of the importance of teams.
I guess at that point it really started to become enjoyable because we really then started to felt like we were starting to build something it was actually starting to work then lots of things started happening you know other restaurant deals were coming in I got a book deal with Penguin and then started getting like partnership opportunities opened another restaurant in the Ligon Arms in the Cotswolds did like a pop-up there for a couple of years with uh, the hotel collection and then launched what year it was in 2013 a pop-up restaurant called uh, sorry 2014 pop-up restaurant called retro feast which was at the the embassy club in mayfair in the last six months of the embassy club the ground floor space was available so mark and i created a pop-up called retro feast which is a kind of british punk inspired restaurant which yeah which we did for six months and then relocated and what well, well, franchised to um our operating partners in in dubai so it was a pretty um yeah it was a pretty crazy couple of years when all that happened and it got to the point where 20, I was 21 and done the restaurant with Mark, had done the restaurant at the Ligon Arms and, and re- really felt in some ways like it was almost time to, to regroup and, and like refocus on things. I so you, I thought you were going to say retire. <laughs> by the age of 21 you've done more than most people have done in their whole career so it's just it's just fascinating listening to you. I said at the start I thought I knew the story but there's so much I didn't know. No, it was certainly a, yeah like a I guess a real education and like thrown in at deep end and really wouldn't change any of the world and like made way more many mistakes than the success story. The mistakes, I guess, are what defines you as long as you can learn from them and kind of look back and understand why they happened. And, and then after that, I really, really enjoyed the kind of, I guess, the food experiential stuff. So started getting into cooking at a lot of music festivals. So it was doing like pop-ups at festivals like the festival and glastonbury and, and various others where i'd kind of take a, a crew of people and we'd go and create a food experience centered around food music and art so create live food experiences for all of the artists and the guests have live artists come and you know do uh, art installations while we were cooking and then bring in new music talent at the same time so and and i guess with that that passion i really felt that I wanted to then translate that into a venue. So in 2018, I set up a company called LTD. I guess the first time I'd really attempted to do anything where I needed to go out and raise money because I'd always done stuff before where it was in partnership with someone or they'd kind of employ me to go and cook at their venue or it'd be a profit share type thing. So, and, and I really guess also saw a massive shift in terms of the way people consume in food in terms of experiences. And, and it was, it's all good and well lending your name or writing a menu or what, whatever it may be, actually trying to be in control of the whole guest experience is I think really important rather than just owning a segment of it so um, and I thought the only way of doing that is trying to go out and do a venue of my own and and raise the money to do it so set the company up with a view to any venture that I do moving forward all sitting within that UK-based business but doing stuff in other parts of the world and with that business we have Black's Club which is uh, in Soho it's a private members club that was founded in uh, 1764 but got a permanent base on Dean Street in Soho in 1992 so we became a co-owner of that business in 2018. Um, have a company under there called Sense Fuko, which is set up to try and disrupt the way people experience food and beverage in the workplace. So we currently work with the Office Group in London. We have a couple of sites planned with some other partners as well for 2021. And then a brand called Retro Feast, which is the brand that we launched at the Embassy Club. And then we have a couple of other interests that sit underneath that as well in coffee and then another restaurant group. So I guess that's, yeah, that's kind of where things are at today. Have a breather. 
<laughs> I mean, fantastic. I mean, I, I met you just under a year ago now. And I was introduced to you as the owner of Blacks and I did my research and I was fascinated by, you know, everything you've just told me there. But I mean, Blacks is a very interesting place and, and you're very passionate about there, aren't you? So why yeah. is that different to most other membership clubs in London? So I think for, firstly, the interest of them in Blacks, it actually started as a supper club. So it was focused around great food and wine to discuss sort of topics and issues of the of the moment and always kind of moved around Soho and then Blacks uh, set up in 1992 is really the kind of like the original alternative leave your ego at the door members club you know Blacks over the years has kind of really always retained like incredible character and incredible position within the market within Soho and you know the members are incredibly special in terms of their loyalty uh, and their desire to engage in all the programming that goes on and, and I guess where I kind of really started to fall in love with Blacks is the fact that I think the opportunity to almost add a new layer of energy into the style of content that happens in that club and that could be anything from a, a supper club series with City Harvest through to working with people like Runway Gallery to curate new art to also using it as a platform for new talent to come and express their love and desires around food and drink and the arts so I think it's just always been a special place and I only got to know it in recent years I was only allowed to go out and drink in Soho in recent years <laughs> so always felt from the minute it became an opportunity that actually it was the right thing to put energy into because it felt like I could with the other partners that were involved in the business like really put a stamp on Blacks during the next chapter of its life whilst retaining all of that amazing character and the heritage. It's certainly one of my favourite places to pop in and have a drink. I mean you mentioned a couple of businesses there. How have your businesses been affected by the coronavirus? Pretty much at the start of lockdown, we closed uh, both uh, the contract catering business in London and also Blacks and also the restaurant in Dubai closed as well. We do hope that they'll all return at some point uh, over the summer. Um, again, timing wise, I think there's still a bit of uncertainty in the market. And then equally the question of when is the right time to actually reopen? You know, do you want to be on day one? out there waving the flag and trying to get everybody back or do you want to see how consumers behave a little bit first but we've been hit you know pretty hard like everybody else has and you know I think we've kind of you know we're sort of I guess what 10 weeks into lockdown now 11 weeks I think we've kind of probably over the last few weeks really started to finally shift our energy into actually how do we reshape and rebuild you know unbuild all the blocks that make up that product that we offer and actually how do we rebuild it for a modern world and I think yeah you know but brands brands like Blacks where you know you've got a, you know a very loyal following you know, members who, who've been you know some members have been there since 1992 so there's an incredible level of support that we've had from members and we've also we, we also took the decision to engage with them and be incredibly honest around you know the business is going through tough times and 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 with that in mind our reopening plan is not about us at all it's actually all about you the members how are you going to use the club what day parts are going to be important for you what program is going to be important are you going to you know if you use the club three days a week pre-lockdown are you going to use it one day a week or five days a week post lockdown so I guess what we're trying to really understand is based on the new world how do we how do we create a product that kind of suits the needs of our members lives in terms of whatever new normal may come but whilst retaining you know all the important pillars within what we what we do as a business how do you see the future of hospitality I th well, I think there's probably lots of things to discuss and think about. But I think, for example, like hotels in terms of F&B, I think there'll be a massive opportunity. 
you know, I think that the world of staycations will be massive. Um, and I think if you can offer a true lifestyle experience within your complex, you know, whether that's the pig or a Soho farmhouse or a sanctum or even brands like the pop-up hotel that create pop-up experiences, if, if you can get guests checking in on a Friday and checking out on a Sunday in a remote location, you're probably going to sell a fair amount of F&B. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for uh, F&B within hotels. And it, equally, if you think about how people used to go out for a night out, you know, if you go to London, stay on a Saturday night, you might go to a cocktail bar at seven o'clock. Then you might go for a dinner reservation at eight, eight thirty. Go somewhere for a post dinner drink, then go back to the hotel. But actually, in the modern, you know, in the world that we're entering, I don't know whether consumers are going to feel that that is something that they would engage with. Maybe it's more about actually how can you provide everything under one roof, and actually how do you push the entertainment side of it and the experiential side of it. So. I, th- I do see hotel F&B as something that could be a great opportunity. Um, you know, I think what is what is interesting, certainly we found, is that how how vulnerable hospitality businesses have become. You know, cash is king, as, as people say. And I think that, you know, for, for smaller independents, profit is generally their, their salary. So that is going to become incredibly challenging. And then, you know, people who are building smaller, you know, smaller empires going from one site to two, two to three, you know, generally the profit from number one helps pay for number two and then vice versa for number three while you building your infrastructure and that I think is going to be a challenge where I definitely see it is that the old model of tiers of management business development managers head chefs sous chefs I just can't see how that model is going to work in the future and and I think that's where the opportunity sits for us to all really look at our our operating model going forwards in terms of you know how do we cross train people how do we utilize technology to enhance guest experience review our opening hours do we need to be open 12 hours a day or do we need to be open eight hours a day how do we repurpose team members to to excel at other areas so i, I do think there is going to be a lot of opportunity i think there'll be a lot of MA coming up but yeah i think whilst whilst there is a lot of negativity out there at the moment i do see great opportunity if people are willing to be really dynamic in the way that they look at their business model we had the great John James, the uh, managing director of Soho Estates, on on Tuesday. And uh, obviously, you know, he's pushing this uh, Save Soho campaign. What do you think about that? I think it's amazing. And, and I, I really, really think it happens. And I think John's probably one of the only landlords out there that's doing something like this. And I think, you know, quite rightly, all tenants at the moment are pushing for reduced rents, rent-free periods, et cetera. But, you know, that's because our business is a restaurant which has sunk, you know, over the, the last 10 weeks. And, you know, hopefully they're going to start to rebuild in the coming weeks. But, you know, equally in the property, you know, the property business, they're not in the market to give spaces out for free. So I think actually coming up with a dynamic campaign that really actually celebrates this opportunity and actually gets the tenants back operational in a, in a very different way to actually just putting limitations across the way that they operate I think is really exciting and I think it'll bring the, you know the loyal audience that have always hung out in Soho back and I think it'll bring a whole new audience as well with a layer of confidence that they can dine safely you know I think us as operators will feel that you know because we have more space you know we've you know there's more there's more safety for our staff which obviously moves on to our customers so I think the campaign's brilliant and I really do, you know, I really do hope it works. You know, we certainly want to be a big part of it if it does. So I mentioned that I needed to get a big Titan on for the last episode of season one. And another reason for that is you've been mentioned in Pete Warden's podcast, Mark Fuller's podcast, Roger Payne's podcast, uh, even Benjamin Kayaher from uh, Live It Design, which, you know, you're, you're creative director for V Restaurants. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So Ben is an amazing, amazing guy. Great, great vision. And uh, met with him a few years ago and really was just 
pretty much blown away. I'd never kind of seen anybody thinking that way in terms of the future of restaurants and really wanted to be a part of it. So got involved in, yeah, Fast Fine Restaurant Group uh, about a year and a bit ago to help them with their launch in LA and in Malmö in Sweden. Um, so kind of helping with all kind of creative around food. Now I'm a partner in, uh, in their business and yeah, look forward, to, look forward to doing more with them. So my question there is, what, what's your secret? Why do so many powerful people gravitate to you? You can't just be a nice guy and a good chef. There might, there's something that the, the listeners need to, to know about you that they can look at you and go, I want to be the next Luke Thomas. You know, I'd, I'd say positive energy. You know, I'm glass half full about everything. Really see everything as opportunity. Really everything that I do is kind of because of my passion for food. And that, I guess, means that really, you know, I'm, I'm not in it because I see opportunity to create businesses and sell them because I, I'm in it because of my love for food and, and love for creating food experiences so I think the authenticity I think you know I've uh, always been driven uh, and persistent um, and you know going back to like I said before really never take a no for an answer and I think having that having that sort of energy when you're part of a team and youthful I think is always helpful and I guess also really I've always you know from the moment of kind of the after the sort of first year of doing that first restaurant really really always taking the view of surrounding yourself with people who are better than you in terms of your business and I, I always am like super open with that so when I work with the likes of Mark and Roger and Ben and Pete etc I always make sure that I, I absolutely inform them that here's what I can do and here's what I can't do and here's why I really want to work with you because actually if we can marry that together your skill set could really kind of help in terms of where i'd like to like to get to and hopefully together we can create something so i think really always like honesty and transparency in terms of uh in terms of skill set and then uh, i'd say the other one is always i've always tried to build a network so always try to uh, connect with as many people as possible and learn and share insights super openly so i guess yeah i guess they're, they're the things that yeah i guess are kind of what i always use as my kind of principles as to how i how i try and work they sound quite simple and straightforward, but actually when you break them down individually, they're very, very powerful, aren't they? For anyone in business, it's having trust in somebody you, you go to war with. So yeah, if you're listening out there, take that on note that, that if you want to be the next Luke Thomas, integrity and, and uh, determination is key. What, what's your proudest moment in business so far, Luke? The moment that Black's happened, that kind of, I guess, felt like it was like a real kind of interesting moment because it was, I guess, almost the switch from having some responsibility to being an owner of something is, is, is such an interesting shift in terms of the things that you think about and the way that you think about people and the way that you look at every penny that's spent. I've always, from an early age, like penny pinched with everything. But I think it's it, having, that, having that approach. So, so I'd say that the, black, the Blacks moment was, was really interesting because it also felt at the start when I looked at it, there it was kind of, it was almost like looking at a dream rather than something that I could do because, you know, when I looked at it, I had no, I had no money around. I had to go out and raise the money. And it felt like it, it was kind of like a marathon to run to get to the point of actually being able to do it. So I'd say, I'd say that was, you know, an interesting moment. And then... Do you remember signing that contract? Do you remember that feeling of, oh my God, now I'm an owner of a venue in London, in Soho, the heart and soul of London... I do remember signing it, and actually, the day that I went to the day that I went to sign it, I couldn't sign it because I was so nervous about actually doing it. And then 
and then I did, I did it a few days later. But it was, yeah, no, that I'd say that that certainly was a moment. And then I'd say the other one is I, I have a partnership with the academy at South Cheshire College in Crewe. There's an incredible leadership team at that, at that college who uh, went in a few years ago and really wanted to uh, steer the direction of the college in terms of what it was doing. And I'd never seen such a level of energy and passion and desire to really make a difference in terms of education. And a couple of people that uh, were my lecturers and I worked with in my sort of early teens moved to that college to drive that forward. And, and they asked me to come on board to kind of help them create a sort of a new sort of F&B restaurant, which we did and, and succeeded and still spend so much time going back into to the college and doing sort of like doing cookery classes and doing nights with the students that they then sell to external guests to bring some money into the college. And I'd say that 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 is something that I I really kind of like feel proud about and love doing you know get, trying to give back and and support people where I can is is like something that I really love to do. Luke what do you think is the biggest challenge you face in business? Youth can play out in all sorts of really good ways I think the challenging part is being inexperienced when it comes to managing people and leadership is, is really difficult I, st- I still really find that difficult today I'd say that biggest challenge is structure and focus so I have always been I always find it hard to be like really pinned down I like doing new things seeing new things learning all the time going off to try new things and that is okay when you don't have a lot of responsibility but the challenge with that when you have businesses with teams of people it it does become more difficult and I always in I guess in recent years the first thing is to admit that that is that is just unfortunately who I am. That's my personality. I get drawn to doing lots of things. You know, therefore that is a challenge. So actually, rather than try and totally shift that, actually, how can I empower the people that I work with to focus and be the leaders? And then I'll actually report into them. So like for, you know, for example, at the contract catering company, I tried to I tried to run it myself. I tried to, you know, do that along with a myriad of other things. And the challenge is with all the will in the world you just can't do it and I've I certainly found it incredibly difficult so from my perspective there it was like actually for this to succeed I need to bring somebody in empower them and reward them to be a leader and I'll report to them so if they need a menu or support creatively like give me a task give me a deadline and then I'll report that to you so and 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 that's been a, a real kind of turning point in terms of the business I'd say recently because it's also meant that I can get much more hands-on with food um because you know, I didn't set out to do this to set up a company to to grow. It was actually how can I use my passion and my love for food and helping people and creating food experiences and the creativity around that to go and do things with. So if I can then find people who who we have a great connection and there's a, a kind of mutual love around doing something special, bringing in people who then lead those businesses with me and in some cases for me has been a really I guess a really good moment yeah so yeah I guess to summarize the challenge structure and same time same place is I find it difficult (laughs) but that's the millennial entrepreneur isn't it I mean you know it's diversity it's about moving around and and you can't tie somebody down who's very creative Um, otherwise how are you going to get your ideas how are you going to come up with these incredible new theatrical food displays or you know if you're just stuck in one place you're going to get stale so i fully agree why you uh, somebody like mm-hmm. yourself would struggle with um with with sort of the the structure and routine what do you prefer being an influencer a chef or a business owner chef so why do you love being a chef well it's why 
all of this started. You know, I dial the clock all the way back and my passion for home-cooked, really hearty, flavorful, humble food is still the thing that motivates me the most. You know, I've taken a few pivots and turns throughout, like, let's say, I don't know, the last five, six years, but I, I think it all comes back to that is the only reason I'm doing what I do. It's not because I, I want to go out and aggressively build businesses or whatever. I, what excites me about the building businesses part is creating new experiences in new locations, building great teams, creating great partnerships and seeing something grow into something special. So yeah, no, definitely chef. What goals have you got coming up in the next three to five years that you want to achieve both business and personally? I'd say still the thought of learning to focus and stick to plans and and really commit to what we have today so i think you know right, right now we have a collection of venues and partners involved with that and i think the plan is actually apart from apart from one project that's coming on online really soon actually rather than getting spread thinner across doing more things actually put more energy into into making what we have stronger so i'd say that that'll be the biggest focus and I think probably like learn to learn to slow down and think a bit more. I think lockdown has been a really interesting time because I don't know if we were all built to live in the world that we ended up living in pre this in terms of we were always at 110 miles an hour. We got up, we started work looking at our phones. We were at 110 miles an hour until the, we went to bed and we just repeated that process. And I guess we all were all different and we all get energized and inspired by different things. But I think from my perspective that the, the that I've definitely felt over the last like couple of months have been actually been able to think about things a lot differently. And rather than making decisions really quickly, because we all feel pressured by this fast paced universe that we're in, actually learning to slow down, say no, have time to think. Yeah. So I, th- I think that's the goal. And, and then personally, I think really one, one thing I've always struggled to do is say, is say no, um, because I've always liked to be the nice guy and, it's just something I've always struggled with. So I think really learning to say no and really trying to push to get to where I want to get to in the way that I want to do it versus, I guess, being forced to do things because of the way things are structured. So I'd say that they're, yeah, they're the goals. You surround yourself with so many influential people that you love just absorbing their knowledge and and expertise. The beauty of you, Luke, is that you haven't even hit your peak yet. You're still in stride, aren't you? So you know, when we have this conversation in five, 10 years, who knows where the Luke Thomas empire will be? I think always learning is, is super important. And I try and listen to that as many podcasts as I can, you know, all of yours, for example, you know, I really yeah, try and do that, you know, a podcast every morning before I go, either start work or if I'm walking somewhere, like I'll always try and do that and always really try and listen. You know, I always say you've got two ears, one mouth, views them proportionately. And I think that uh, is something I've always stuck by and you know some people you say oh you know Luke's quiet is a bit shy and I definitely am shy but actually sitting and listening to people I think is is really important and really understanding people's point of view on things and what their perspective is and and what makes them tick and what their view is and, and I think also recently what's been interesting is trying to listen to listen to what people are doing in other industries and what what they're applying in terms of thinking to I don't know whether it's technology or whether it's music or whether it's experiences or events, because I think we're entering such a different world that if we try and look at 2019 and kind of hash this kind of come out of COVID special version of what we did last year, then I think businesses are going to struggle. So actually, how can we 
how can we really learn from what other people are doing in other industries that and like open our eyes to kind of the possibilities that are out there and then leverage that to build things within hospitality so this is the last question and uh it's the question that I've asked most of the Tysons on the show. When this is all over, which we co- looks like we're coming out of it now, looks like there's going to be some opening up of many restaurants, uh, lots of friends of ours and, and clients of ours opening mm-hmm. in July. What are you looking forward to doing the most? Are you going to be going to your favourite pub? Are you going to check into your favourite hotel? Are you going to go on holiday and, and maybe have to quarantine for 14 days? But, you know, what are you going to do? What are you looking forward to? Going to the pub for a pint with a friend is probably the thing I'm looking forward to the most. And like, there's definitely certain restaurants. And I think one of the things is, you know, when you walk around Soho, there's all sorts of brilliant restaurants in Soho, but actually walking around, you know, some of the great delis, the little wine shops, going to the French house for, for a beer. I think they're all the, they're all the things like the simple things in life, the things that I think we miss the most. Well, I'll certainly join you on that beer, I think. Luke, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are like I said, one of my newest friends out of the Titans, but I really enjoy spending time with you. You're a true inspiration. Likewise. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I know that there's only good things coming from you for in the future and uh, you know, season two, we'll, we'll get you on again and, and see how you've come through this and uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed talking. Thanks. So there you have it. The end of season one. Thank you very much, Luke Thomas, for being the last Titan. We're going to have a break till July, but we've got some huge plans for season two and some mega, mega Titans. So thanks for everyone that's joined season one so far. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found it inspirational. I hope you found it educational. And I think we all agree there will be massive changes in the hospitality industry, but we're all confident we'll all come back bigger and stronger. Don't forget, guys, if you want to reach out to me on email, it's liam.norval at poshcotney.co.uk or follow me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn or Twitter at Liam Norval. Guys, it's been emotional. Thanks very much and I'll see you in season two. Bye bye.